Welcome back to another episode of DSC's Charity Questions, where we ask the questions that the sector wants to know from the experts in, around the sector. And we've got Deborah with us again today. Uh, Deborah's the CEO of, of the Directory of Social Change, and she's back off the back of a really interesting topic. And we're calling it snitchware, but whatever you want to call it, this is about tracking our, our staff in, in work. And of course, this has become a bigger topic recently. So, Deborah, do you just want to give a little bit of a background to, to where this topic came from and how you kind of went viral on Twitter and LinkedIn about this? Yes, it's a really interesting issue around snitchware because what happened was I got sent an email completely random out the blue marketing email from a company that was offering to install effectively spyware uh, into DSC systems in order to be able to monitor the performance of our staff. And it was a sales pitch. And, and the, this chap who'd emailed had, had said, basically, you know, like this is a way of knowing whether you're, no, it started with, you know, how do you know your staff are not sat in front of the telly, watching the telly and, that you know, it, all that it? sort of thing. That's how it started. So the whole thing started from, let's assume your staff are cheating. And then if we start from assuming that, how can you go about making sure they don't cheat? And then the whole thing was then about, how they can install the software. And, and the thing that, I mean, the whole thing I found completely outrageous, but the thing that really wound me up more than anything else was at the end when he said, and by the way, we can do this without your staff knowing we're doing it. Mm. Which I was just like, I was absolutely incensed by it. Like I literally could not believe what I was reading. And so I posted how angry I was about this on Twitter and on LinkedIn. And as you say, George, it went completely mad like with so many people plowing in about this particular subject it was really interesting some people I have to say a minority but some people defending it which I found also interesting and really quite shocking it was yeah it, it was indeed it was interesting to see both sides and do you think this is a new phenomenon with kind of the post-COVID remote working, hybrid working, whatever you to want to To be honest, not really, because mm. well, because I actually think that this isn't about software, it's about leadership. And I think that if you're a really bad leader, you do tend to rely on things to monitor your staff, their performance, because you don't trust them to perform. And all I think that's happened is, I think this particular individual saw a marketing opportunity because mm. more people work from home. But it's always been an issue for you know poor leaders is that this kind of sense they can't manage their staff. So I've always felt this isn't about software, it's about leadership which is what I said in my original post, actually. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I think you're right that on the flip side of things, there are people that are, one, using it as a marketing opportunity, but also maybe believe that their staff aren't, are not working and, and have no idea how to change that other than some form of software. Uh, I mean, from my perspective, these staff do not exist at DSC or, or similar organisations I've worked at. Really. Yeah, yeah. And, and as you say, if it is, it does come back to leadership. So if we think well, about... In every organisation, George, sorry to interrupt you, in every no. organisation, you get individuals, of course you do, who mm. who I'm trying to find a way of saying without swearing, you know, but who like kind of take the mickey a bit. They're the ones who swing the lead, etc. And of course that happens. But actually, you never deal with those situations by buying on them you deal with them by having conversations with them about what's going on and also this notion that you know that the 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 competence or or um, productivity of your staff is about how long they spend on the computer you know and how many clicks they have and how often their mouse moves or they touch the keyboard is daft I mean I could I could just tap away and keep moving my mouse forever and you'd think I was really productive and produce nothing of use so there's something really kind of skewiff about that sort of approach I think Mm. Yeah, and Chester, uh, one of the researchers at the Directory of Social Change, raised a good point. Is it almost taking the easy way out, I think, for some people who don't have the time to consider what better leadership could look like? Yeah, except it's not easy. 
Mm, That's the interesting thing. It it might be lazy, but it's Mm. definitely not the easy way out because you do not improve performance by Mm. by spying on people or looking at the, or like working out how much time they're spending on the computer or whether or not they've been aware. I mean, for example, if you're reading a document and it's a document you need to read for your work, hopefully you wouldn't be clicking on anything or pressing your keyboard because you'd be concentrating on reading the document. Absolutely. And what if you need to print the document out and sit quietly and read it on paper for I mean it's just yeah so it's not I don't even think it's the easy way out. I think it's mm. lazy but I just think it's like you're creating more problems for yourself. I love that. Doing yeah. it that way. So picture me then I, I'm the manager that wanting to put that in place for the team and, and I've and I've seen this software and I'm like this sounds interesting. I could do with this information. What would you say to me? If I wanted to go ahead with that, what would be your challenge to that? Don't do it. That's ridiculous. <laughs> For God's sake, you know, if you feel the need to spy on your stuff, you need to get a grip and you shouldn't be a manager. Yeah. And if you're worried about your ability to manage your staff's performance, because ultimately this is about performance and productivity. Absolutely. If you feel that you can do that through software, you are definitely not the right person to be a manager. Mm. So if you're tempted to do it, ask yourself first off, am I in completely the wrong job? You know, actually, that's not how you get good productivity and performance out of people. You get good productivity and performance out of people by listening to them, by letting them understand the impact of their work, by demonstrating the value of what they do, by noticing what they do, by praising them for their output. You don't get it by saying, I've noticed that you only did 3,792 keyboard clicks Clicks, yesterday. You know, it's like that's just utter, utter, utter nonsense. Mm, absolutely. I love what you said about noticing people and, and talking about them in an actual person to person way, having that relationship. It sounds so basic, but this is what, what we're missing, isn't it? Sometimes. Um, so we have we are in this new world, though. And the reality is people are trying to sell software like this. It has changed. And how if we let's say we're in an organization where we have people on site, actually in the office as well, and maybe remote workers, um, what is what about the balance there and again it's not necessarily about monitoring their clicks and things like that but what could we monitor for performance what's the difference george honestly all i would say to any leader out there listen i have managed a team when i've been physically in the office with them and i've managed a team when i've been remote from them i can tell you there really isn't a huge amount of difference like remote like do you still have to have one-to-ones you either do it via zoom or teams or whatever or you do it face to face in terms of in the office would i would how would i've ever known that what people were doing on the computer what they were doing what they should have been doing unless i stood over them and whoever would go and stand over a member of staff in the physical world you just wouldn't do it and so yeah. all this is the equivalent of it except sneaky yeah. like would you want to work with your chief executive standing over you if any of you people think this is the right thing to do so actually i i don't buy this argument that it's harder to monitor and manage performance remotely than it is mm. face-to-face i don't agree with that i think there are other challenges to remote management but performance is absolutely not one of them because if you're having the right conversations if people know what's expected of them if they know what the metrics are and if you're if you're discussing how they're achieving what's different really Absolutely. You wouldn't stand you wouldn't walk in your office and stand over people to make sure they were working. You'd never get away with it. Yeah. No, I know. You don't buy this thing that it's harder work when it's remote. No, it's not. I mean, it's not been harder for us at DSC, George, has it? In fact, if anything, productivity's gone up. I know. I know. And and it's almost we have the opposite problem where we're worrying that people are working too hard. Yeah. Is in this in the charity sector at least. That's the reality. I know the, the sales email that sparked all this wasn't charity specific. Um, but yeah, we do have the kind of opposite effect, don't we? People working on the Sundays that maybe they wouldn't have been able to because they couldn't have accessed those tools. Um, I, I like where you're going with this. And so we talk about it when we train uh, at DSC about building a culture of trust. And it's almost what we're looking to, to build. And it's certainly one that I, I feel a part of at 
DSC to speak for myself. Um, but this came from somewhere and ultimately you're the CEO and, and of course we've got the board and the other directors, but this started with you, Deborah. And if you were wanted to advise another organization, how to start going down this path of trust with people, um, is there anything you would say to that other than just the obvious, just start trusting them? Yeah. Well, I have to say, George, I know it sounds really difficult, but just start trusting people. <laughs> yeah. You know, and actually it's, it's really very easy to do because every single job has outputs. Every mm. job does. You know, and the outputs are never the number of time, the amount of hours you spend on the computer, the number of clicks you do. Like if it's a sales job, there's sales results. If it's a customer services job, there's how quickly emails are responded to, or there's how, you know, how many complaints you get. I mean, or every single job, whatever the job is, has some form of metric that just comes by the nature of the fact that no, you know, I don't know anybody who has a job where it's just moving the mouse. You know, unless it's in a Zoom. <laughs> I don't know, maybe there's a job in a... But you get the point. So you never, ever need to monitor hours, really. It's about, you know, outputs. I mean, OK, maybe I'm searching slightly, because, of course, there are some roles where you have to be physically at your desk between, for example, if it's a customer-facing role, of, of your, if it's hospitality, yep. or if it's, you know, sacking shelves in a supermarket, or if it's police officer on the beat or something, of course, yep. you know, there are the hours that you have to put in. But actually, you still wouldn't measure those people by the hours anyway, mm. you know, because... To be honest, people can turn up and turn up and sit on their till in the supermarket for a whole day and take forever to process a transaction, Absolutely. you know, or be rude to the customers. And so you would never measure them by how long they've been sat at the till. Mm. You'd measure them by, you know, how quickly have they processed transactions? Have they dealt with the customers well? So, yeah, I just, I cannot, I literally cannot see any, even in the private sector, any time where sneakily spying on how people when how often people are sat at their computers or even at their desks is a way of measuring mm. productivity and not only that George you know even better than I do so much of the creativity and success of what you do in the workplace is because you've spoken to people you spent a half an hour having a good old gossip about a football match and something about that conversation suddenly makes you think, oh, wouldn't it be a brilliant idea if we did a piece of research into football foundations and what good they do in the set? We've had those conversations at DSC. And that didn't come out of anybody monitoring anybody's computer. It came out of people chatting away about things they're passionate about. And out of that comes this really fabulous idea about doing a piece of research about something or running a course on it or, you know, then in other organisations there'll be other ideas. So, yeah. I love that. And, and it is as simple as creativity. And if I can share a story I tell about you, Deborah, that maybe is oh, a okay. way to, to build a is culture it a of trust. Story? It's it's a good story. Well, only good stories on this podcast. Yeah. Um, so the story we talk about, Deborah, is actually when you told us as staff to meet up colloquially with people online and have chats. And if you'd said that once, I can guarantee we'd have all gone, well, I'm not doing that because it's it's obviously something Deborah wants, but if she's only going to say it once, it's not that important. But you say it every week. You say it every Wednesday meeting, once a month now probably, but you bring it up regularly and actually I'll sit in a one-to-one -one and my manager will say to me, who have you met with casually in the last month? And if I say nobody, she'll say why? And, and I think part of that is that you actually tell it over and over again and you give us permission to do this. It can feel kind of naughty, I think is the word maybe someone might use. Like I'm not doing work during work time, but we're just replicating what we lost from the office, if that's fair to say. Sure, and in the office, because I mean, again, George, of course, you know this is true, but I it always it makes me laugh when people moan about meetings or they moan about the amount of time people have spent like by the coffee machine or whatever. The reality is, work gets done through relationships always, of course. And people can say, Look, well, relationships are not going to write my report. Yes, they are, mm. because you can't write that report unless you get that piece of information from your colleague in that other department. And if Love you that. don't have a good relationship with them, you're not going to get that data. You're not going to get it in time. You're going to have to chase it. So anybody who thinks that time spent 
chatting about stuff and gossiping about what you watched on telly the night before, what your hobbies are, and that there's no place that in work needs their head examined because we spend a lot of time chatting and gossiping at DSC. And yet look how productive we are, George. You know, it's all part of building relationships in the workplace. And the stronger the relationships, the easier it is to pick up the phone or send an email saying, George, mate, I'm really, really stuck. Is there any chance at all that you could cover me for me on Friday? Perfect. Or look, I know it's not your job, but we really, really need help in the research team, like inputting this data. Any chance at all you can? And what you you're 100 more likely to get. Of course, I will. Let me see what of I can course. do. Or I can't this time, but hold me to it, and I promise you, next time I'll help out. Then you get that. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And and, and it is in between those relationships that, that the creativity happens, which is so important as well. So I think we're kind of going down this path, aren't we? But how do we ensure that people are feeling comfortable when they're either remote or working hybrid? Is there anything you would recommend to people, managers, leaders, to make sure they are comfortable, staff? Yeah, well, so the thing I've learned really hard at DC, so I've had to really change some of my ideas about how we work since the pandemic and going remote and things like that. And I would say that if you communicated a lot when you're in person, you need to do double that amount remotely. Mm. And people will moan about it. They will say, like, oh, do we really have to check in at 9.30 in the morning? Or do we have to give up half an hour to do this chatty, gossipy stuff? Or do I really have to meet with my team at the end of the day? And people will, will for all sorts of reasons, not want to do those, but you have to insist on them. Mm. Because actually, the more, and we've certainly found this at DSC, I think, I think we've lost some stuff not being physically together, but we've gained an enormous amount. So, for example, if I just think about me as a chief executive, I now see all of our staff at DSC every single day without fail, at least once a day. And I get to have a chat and they get to hear what's on my mind. And we just get this sort of sense of access. When we were not working in that way, I would have seen the people in the London office maybe once, twice a week if we were lucky. I would have seen the Liverpool team maybe once a week and I'd have waved mm. at the our Liverpool window, mm-hmm. you know. And so, so in fact, actually, I think that the barriers between the layers in our organisation have broken down more with Zoom and accessibility than they would have done when it was physically face-to-face. When if anybody wanted to speak to me, that it was more effortful. Mm. Now, mm. I mean, I don't know, George, you might have a different perspective on that, but that's oh. my view. Uh, so we train this, we train the check-in and the check-out for people and, and we always get someone stop us and, and ask us to explain this for that exact reason it, it, that you said it can be hard to get people through that change curve initially and to see the importance. Why did you start doing them, Deborah? What was kind of your reasoning behind the check-ins and the checkouts? And maybe tell a little bit more about what they are as well, if that's okay. Sure, yes, of course. So, so it was at the beginning of the pandemic and the honest truth is, I mean, this is a terrible thing to say, but it's true. I wanted to make sure nobody had died. Honestly, it's like, how would I know? Like, if we didn't have people, because in the office, if you go into the office and somebody doesn't turn up, you know they haven't turned up because you can see their empty desk. When you do everything remotely, if you don't have people like signing in, how on earth do you know that they're okay? And that they've got through the night and that, and that, and also their mental health. Like when somebody comes into the office, you can see. Whereas if you just rely on somebody emailing, I'm here. Like, yeah, you might be here, but actually, are you sobbing your heart out? And, it's, you know, are you tearing your heart? Do you look an absolute mess because you're in a... Ma- so I Absolutely. did it because it was my only way of making sure that the folk had made it through the night effectively. And actually, and because it's always, as you know, George, what we say at DSC is it's, it's the equivalent of coming into the office in the morning. So we spend no more than 10 minutes or sometimes longer if I'm ranting about some particular thing that has annoyed me about the world of work, by the way, not <laughs> about our staff. But it's like, it's the equivalent of coming into the office in the morning and saying, morning, morning, how are you? How was the journey? And I'll really, you know, well, did you see that program last night on telly? Has anybody watched XYZ? Is it, it, what we're trying to do is create the virtual equivalent of coming into the office in the morning. 
Yeah. And also it gives people a sense of structure. So of course at DSC, some people start work super early because they want to and it suits them to do so. But it just means that there is some structure. So you know that 9.30, come on, lads, we're expecting you in work now. And 4 o'clock or 4.15 or 4.30, you know, what you do before and after that is about how you manage your own time. But you know that we that we care that you're yeah. there. And we care that you're there because we care about you, not because we don't think you're doing the job, because we know you're doing the job. We can see the outputs. Absolutely. And I think just to clarify, the checkout is just a team meeting in the afternoon. That's what we do. So we don't all come together as an organization just in, in our departments. Uh, and again, we and do I can, in the morning, don't we? In the morning. Like it's the whole, everybody, whole organization together. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And as, as Deborah said, sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's longer. And the ch- team checkouts, I mean, we've been on those for an hour before, an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, but it's all really good work. And we're always progressing ideas. And, and I can really reciprocate what you said about meeting the Liverpool team more, my Liverpool colleagues. I now see every day people on my team from liverpool i work with every day in much closer relationship so that is the benefit isn't it of this hybrid world and i imagine if we went back into the office for whatever reason we'd probably still do the digital check-ins in the morning i think we probably would george be perfectly honest although you know we don't really have an office anymore so well that's not our future is it but yeah i'd be interested to see um so talking about kind of flexible working, I'm not sure if you've seen the NCVO Akivo document yet called Time to Flex. So they were saying that potentially there's a consideration that the future of charity jobs should all be flexible, actually. And I just wondered if you had a, a thought on, on that, whether that is right or... How I, do, I definitely think it's right. I think it's challenging in some circumstances. So, for example, if you're clinical work in a hospice, you know, it's a bit more challenging. Or if you're, yeah. you know, doing sort of counselling or therapeutic work, it's a bit more, it's a bit harder. Course, but there's yeah. always a way around it. I mean... We at, at DSC, our, uh, we, our flexibility is not about people choosing do they work between 10 and 4 or whatever. Our flexibility is kind of both inflexible and flexible at the same time. So listeners, so what we do is we, we don't have a four-day week. We have a three-day weekend. And we're a bit inflexible about that because that's about the fact we believe people need solid time off. Mm. We don't think two days in a row is enough. Mm. We don't think it's stressful for people. We don't think they can get everything done they need to do because people have got to sort out, you know, all sorts of personal things. So we're very, so we call it specifically a three-day weekend, not a four-day working week. And around that, we're not particularly flexible. So people can't swap one of those days for another day in the week. It's a three-day weekend. That's in our terms and conditions. However, what we are very flexible about is how people manage their hours in the four days that they do um, do their work. So we are so, you know, I remember back, I remember like some years ago now getting into massive trouble from like colleagues saying like, Debbie, you mustn't send emails on a Saturday morning because, mm. you know, it puts pressure on people to answer them. And I can remember feeling both really annoyed about that and also guilty. So guilty because mm. I don't want people to feel pressure, but also well, that's so unfair on me. So what you're asking me to do is store up work. So I've got to remember on Monday to send these emails. I've got, you know, so it's making my life harder and more stressful because you get really, you know, and so I come and in fact, I now even have on my emails, if you get my email out of your office hours I don't yep. expect an answer but actually the flexibility okay. we're working now at DSC is we say look if you find for whatever reason you need personal time during during those working days that you have you can't just take it willy-nilly because that's not supportive or, or you know respectful of your team members and your managers you just need to say you know team do you mind if I disappear off for an hour because I need to sort out the kids or whatever Absolutely. but if you then need to t- if you need to take that time and you want to catch up on a Monday evening or Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning or whatever we know ne- but that's fine we don't mind about that, really. It's like we trust you to manage your time in a way that suits your life. We encourage you to have a full break, yep. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Saturday, Sunday, Monday. But outside of those kind of parameters, you manage your time how it suits you and makes it work for you, provided you get the job done. And in fact, we even say in our in our guidance about um, 
this kind of work, we say we say we don't count your hours. We will only we will only ask you about the hours you're putting in if your performance starts to suffer. And then the very first question we'll ask you will be. Are you sure you're managing your hours right? Are you getting, are you, are you doing the input? But that will be the only reason we would ever ask you for that. Up, up to that, we trust you. And if you're getting the job done, seriously, why yeah. would we monitor how much time you're spending to doing it? If it's good quality and it's what we're asking you to do. That's exactly it. And it's what we train on all of our courses as well, helping organisations to set clear targets. I mean, that's a big step for some organisations to actually have those targets in the first place. Just for openness, my targets are to sell training, deliver training and write more training courses. It's pretty clear. My boss doesn't mind if I'm making courses at 2am in the morning. I'm not, but she doesn't mind that as long as I'm here at 10 o'clock to do the training that I am reacting to. Um, absolutely. And, and it's been nice to go on that journey, actually, Deborah, and, and see how that change has empowered me to, to work more effectively. I, I now know how effective I am before nine o'clock, whereas yeah. I was originally using all of that time just to commute and getting to work. And by the time I'm actually at work at 9 a.m., I've, I've used my most effective hours commuting, whereas now. I'm yeah, same for me. I'm much, much better in the morning than I am at the end of the day. It's very true. And also, I think, George, it's important for people to understand that it's a, like we're all learning as we go along. I mean, mm. the best advice I can give to any organisation or any leader who's trying to implement change is that the way we do it at DSE is we always frame it like it's an experiment. We always say, let's try this out for six months. And if it doesn't work, we'll change it again. Or let's let's see how, you know, like we, we, we're always very clear. Don't get used to things too much as they are, because we might change them if they don't work. And actually what happens is when you frame an idea or, or a way of doing things differently as an experiment, mm. people get less resistant to it. Mm. It's when you present it as a fait accompli, you know, is that this is going to be how it is forever. People then get kind of scared about, well, what if, what if, what if? But once you say that, do you know what, let's try it. And let's iron out the bugs as we go along. And, you know, if it turns out it's not working, then we'll do something different. And I think people, uh, certainly at DSC, my experience is people are much less defensive about change mm. because we frame it like it's an experiment. Let's see how it goes. I think you've just, I wasn't able to explain that to someone I was on the phone to yesterday. That's exactly it, isn't it? We do offer it as an experiment and that allows us to do things like we're going to experiment with the free day weekend. And then suddenly two years later, we've all been on a free day weekend for two years. Yeah. Uh, well, it's sensing ambitions now. It's part of your contract. So absolutely. Yeah. It'd be very so hard for DSE to take it off you. <laughs> exactly. It's actually taken the final step and put that in place. So I, I have a question here about what else we can learn. And I think that is a really nice point to just learn to just go ahead and experiment and be open to learn whilst making the change happen. I know there are people sat there going, I wish we could follow in DSC steps, yeah. but actually briefing and consulting with people is so yeah. difficult. But well, also, because the other thing I think we're also very good at doing, doing DSC is we've learned the hard way is like to not solve the problems. And what I mean by that is when people come up with objections, we don't go away and try and work out what, how to solve them. We go back and say, that's a really good point, George. <gasps> Any ideas? Absolutely. So we basically hand the challenge back to the staff, not in kind of a way of like getting ourselves off the hook, but because the staff, if the staff have identified the problem, they usually know how to solve it. Yeah. You know, very often, and because and, the other thing is, if you go away as a leadership team or as a director's group and you solve the problems, when you come back, you're presenting your solution to the staff. And there's always going to be a little bit of resistance to that. Of course there will. Whereas if you go if you go back to the staff and say, that's such a good point, like we had the issue with the bank holidays, for example, George, when we went to the three-day weekend. Yeah. You know, it's like, how the hell do we solve that? It was the staff who came up with this idea of tacking on the extra day yeah. to those yeah. long weekends which we've covered I wasn't we didn't come up with that 
Yeah. You know, and yeah. so I, I think honestly, it's like trust your people to solve the problem. There are problems and there are constraints, and it's not per- no no model of working is perfect. But if you pass the problems back to the starting and say, do you know what? You're absolutely right. So you don't deny the problem. Mm. You say, yes, a really good point. How on earth can we solve it? They will solve it because the people you employ are intelligent adults. Circles back around to that creativity, actually, doesn't it? And and giving people a voice and, and listening to them as well. I remember one of the most powerful moments as a manager is when you finally are trained not to tell people what to do all the time and actually ask open questions. And this was a long time before DSE, but you ask someone an open question that you know the answer to and they come back with an answer you didn't expect. And you're like, that's way better than what I was thinking. <laughs> yes, and it's quite a powerful moment. Yeah. And, and if, you're, if you haven't had that experience as a manager and you're listening to this, seek that moment because that is a nice opportunity to realise it's not all on my shoulders to do this, actually. I love that. And so... Anything else that's worked, Deborah? We've got the three-day week. We've got the check-ins in the mornings, the checkouts. All about building this trust culture. Anything else working at DSC towards that? Oh gosh, that's a good question. I mean, I always say to people, we have we we have very solid management structures and expectations at DSC, which we communicate all the time. So we have a set of leadership standards, for example, as you know, George. Yeah having been a member of the leadership team, that that we monitor and that we discuss every month at our leadership team meetings. We also do things like we don't expect people to automatically know how to do stuff. So, for example, we have a... So, obviously, you know, managers are expected to have one-to-ones with their staff. We have very strict standards about that. You have to have your one-to-ones diaried a year in advance. And if I went to a member of your team and said, when's your one-to-one with your manager in September, they would be able to tell me. And if they weren't able to tell me, I'd be quite cross about it because we're supposed to do that. Yep. So people know when they when they when their personal private special time with their manager is. Special time yep. that sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? You know what I mean? <laughs> but we also do, for example, we have the one-to-one guidance to managers. So we have a, a checklist, as you know, George, but yeah, to yeah. as we have a checklist which gives guidance to managers about the kinds of conversations they probably could be having with their staff and the sorts of questions to ask. And of course, it it covers stuff like performance, but it also talks about well-being and mental health and your equipment and your environment and things like that. But we also do a checklist of guidance for staff about what they can expect from their one-to-ones with the managers and what sorts of things they could be asking and what sorts of things we'll be, we'll be expecting their managers to come with us. So both sides have given support and structures and information to help them to get the most out of their one-to-ones, for example. And I think it's, the, it's those things where we don't assume that people should just know. Hmm. We always start by assuming that, firstly, you can trust people. And secondly, the more information and support you can give people, the, the easier it is going to be for them to do their work and to shine. So everything we do is about trying to put in place those things that free people up to shine. Absolutely. Yeah, that's such a good example. Such a good example. So anything that didn't work? Anything that hasn't worked? Um, anything... Honestly, no, only because we keep shoveling stuff back to the staff to prove them. But I have to say that... I have I have occasionally struggled with letting go of my own views and my own, you know, mm. bearing in mind, I'm in my mid to late 50s. I, you know, I've been at work since I was 19. You know, and I was I was a child of the 80s when you got to work at 10 minutes before nine and you hung up your coat and you got your coffee and you were sat at your desk ready to start work at nine. And I, you know, mm. in the old days, it was very difficult when staff rolled in at nine and then took, you know, most, and, they, and when they would go and make themselves breakfast at their desk, I used to find that really <laughs> difficult to deal with. And so I've had to let go of some of my preconceptions about 
what work is. So I would say the biggest struggle has not been with the DSE or with myself. It's been with my own attachment mm. to my, what I was taught about what work is like and, and all the rest of it. And I've had to really, really rethink some of my notions about what's effective in the workplace and what matters. And so that's, so it's not so much things that haven't worked, but I think some of us, have, some of us, particularly those of us, you know, who've been around a bit longer and, you know, we've brought up in perhaps a less, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, less open creative time have had to really struggle with letting go of some of our old fashioned ideas about how work works. So, yeah, so it's not that, and of course things haven't worked, but I can't remember them to be honest, George, because we solved them. I can't think of any, and I would love no, to say some. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I'm trying to answer it, but I think it's because clearly there were things that didn't work because we're not perfect. Yep. But we solved them, and we yeah. moved on. We solved them, and we moved on. You know, because mm. we try not to let things fester, don't we? At DSC, we do try and pick things up. It's not that it didn't work; it's that it just isn't isn't like that anymore. Almost, yeah. 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 So I like exactly. that. And thank yeah. you for being so honest, Deborah. I think you're so right. The growth mindset, the ability to keep learning and challenge ourselves, is something we all yeah. need. And so, yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. And I've seen that. I've seen things change at DSC in the five years I've been here. And yeah amazing to, great to witness that definitely um are you inspired by any any individual specifically uh, on kind of your approach to empowering staff is there anybody you would recommend listeners to go and listen to uh no george and the only reason being is and this can sound weird given i'm giving a postcard the people who talk about it are generally not the ones i want to listen to i think about our staff at dsc so i'm massively inspired by you for example i'm hugely inspired by people like shireen or like jane you know, Jane, for listeners, is one of our staff members at DSC who had been out of work for quite some time. She'd been, she'd, well, when I say out of work, she'd been working, but she'd been working as a mum, you know, bringing up her kids and, and stuff. Yeah. And she came to work for us and she had to learn it. She wasn't very familiar with computers and things like that. And like, I'm in awe of her. Like she, she went from a space where she came, we had to show her how to like use a mouse really. And now she's like, I mean, we laugh with her about it. She's now like the rabid IT. Like it's like we unleashed a monster with Jane. She's like, she's on that IT. She like, and we were laughing about it the other day when we were chatting in a one-to-one and she was saying, you know, oh my God, she said, I just imported and exported a whole load of data to update, you know, and I'm like, I don't even know what she means. And this is our lovely Jane. <laughs> I know. And so I just think, so people like that really inspire me, you know, who like, who are learning new ways of doing stuff who are just, it's never the people who pontificate, which I know mm -hmm. sounds horribly critical given I'm pontif pontificating here. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, you know, the people in our organisation just astonish me. Sen, who steps up, you know, to cover the finance stuff and gets that work done. Or Gwen, who is the most incredible human being when it comes to dealing with customers ever. I mean, when you listen to her take an angry customer down, and like turn it into they become a massive fan. That's just that's Absolutely. all inspiring. So those tend to be the people I would say. So actually, yeah, who would I listen to the people in your organization, observe the work they do? There's not some external clever guru out there who's going to transform your way of thinking or inspire you. It's going to be the people in your own workspace who will absolutely like gobsmack you by their creativity and their energy and the way they do stuff. So, yeah, that's what I would say, George. There's no one. I mean, there are all sorts of like gurus who are probably quite entertaining and interesting to listen to. And I do, too. But, yeah, start by listening to your people and really paying attention to what they think. And you'd be amazed how inspired you'll be. Wow. That is powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Deborah. That is really nice, actually. And, and yeah, really well summed up there. Before we, we finish and I give you the opportunity to, uh, to say where people can find you, is there anything else you wanted to say? You know, when you trust people, you will be absolutely amazed by what they do for you. People, 
trusting folk is like shining sunshine on flowers with a little bit of rain. Mm -hmm. You know, if people feel the warmth of your trust and your admiration, they will, they honestly will blossom. I know that seems, sounds ridiculously flowery. Ha ha. See what I did there. <laughs> it does sound flowery. But in my experience, it's true. And you know what? We, we spend far too much time organising our organisation's rules and behaviours around the mm. one or two who take the mm. piss, which there will always be those people. Mm -hmm. But you're never going to manage those people through snitchware or not trusting them. You just mm -hmm. have to deal with them when you come across them. But if you trust the others, you will be absolutely amazed at the results that you get. Amazing amazing and that's it that's the takeaway for today isn't it speak to our colleagues and our friends and ask open questions and trust what they say and challenge them to, to support you with the challenges you're going through as well so deborah this all came from you going viral on twitter and uh, linkedin and and you're always posting on twitter specifically so can you just let people know where to contact you is that okay sure yeah so um so you can always find me via the DSC website, of course, which is www.dsc.org.uk. You can find me on Twitter and my handle, Twitter handle, which I find hilarious. But anyway, it's Deb Alcock Tyler. So you can find me via there. On LinkedIn, if you just search my name, Deb Alcock Tyler, I'm there. Or again, you can get to me via any of the DSC websites. I'm always really interested in engaging with people, you know. So definitely, you know, really interested in having conversations and debates about these issues. Perfect. And we're all on this journey together, actually. And I think the charity sector holds a, a real firm light against snitchware and things like that. And it's great to hear this story kind of expanding in, in Instagram in, in LinkedIn and things like that as well. So um, thank you very much. And uh, we'll say goodbye to the listeners. And thank you for listening to another episode of Charity Questions here. Just to let you know, Deborah has also had a, a, been a guest on two of the other podcasts, episode one and episode two. So if you like listening to Deborah today, please check out episode one and episode two of the podcast as well. Thanks. Thank you for watching Charity Questions by the Directory of Social Change. So this is the podcast where we bring charity experts to you and we ask them the questions that you provide us via social media. So if you want to get involved, please check out the Directory of Social Change on Instagram, Twitter or LinkedIn. And of course, to hear more about this content and to learn more about Charity Questions, subscribe to our YouTube channel now and of course, like this video to let us know if you enjoyed it. Thank you very much for watching. Cheers.